welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Things may have only recently got back underway, but we're already getting knee-deep in action across the continent. The Libertador is hotting up as we get into the second qualifying round, and we'll have a quick look over the under-20 version of the tournament too, and get some updates from Chile, Brazil, and maybe a bit of Argentina if you're lucky. So I'm your host, Tom Robinson, and joining me as a legend of the game and a familiar name to, to many of our listeners, it's our Chilean football expert, Adam Brandon. How are you doing, Adam? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, it feels slightly odd to be sort of on this side of the of the fence in terms of uh, <laughs> no no, no of pressure podcasting. at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think all, all the pressure's on me to to live up to the highest standards you set. So you know, you take it easy, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, like Felipe Mello in a, in a 50-50 challenge, let's get stuck into this. Um, so, since the last podcast, we've seen Barcelona, Bolivar and Olympia make it through to the first round of the Libertadores qualifiers. Um, and not too many surprises there, really. Um, last year's semi-finalists, Barcelona, only just scraping past Montevideo City Torque, um, beating them on penalties after a one-all aggregate draw. While it was a bit more comfortable for Bolivar, who dispatched Deportivo Lara of Venezuela 7-2 on aggregate. And Olympia eased past uh, the Peruvian side Cesar Vallejo uh, 3-0. So I don't I don't know if you saw much of that, Adam. Uh, any early, early thoughts on, on those teams that made it through the first round? Uh, yeah, I didn't see a great deal of it, but... You know, from what I did see, you know, they as as you mentioned there, you know, there was there was no real surprises, possibly, and this actually continued into last night in a game that we we talk about in a bit, but it's possibly sort of the least competitive I've seen Venezuelan sides for a while, which uh, which is quite interesting, especially as they did pretty well in the under twenty Libertadores, which we which we talk about soon with Caracas getting to the semi-final of that so yeah I, d- I don't know if it's just a little bit of a blip this year so far but usually you know they, they put up a bit more of a fight than they have done so far in the Libertadores. Yeah I think Lara were, were disappointing from from what we've come to expect for them I do think the best two Venezuelan sides are, are going to make more of a fist of it in the group stage but yeah certainly not the the start they'll uh, want to to have got got off on as a, as a country the the second qualifying round is already underway as we record this podcast uh, with Everton beating Monagas 3-0 much to Adam's delight no doubt Um, Fluminense getting a 2-1 win away at Millonarios and Plaza Colonia with an impressive 2-0 home victory against the strongest Um, we've still got Bolivar to take on uh, Ecuador's Universidad Católica American Mineiro against Guarani from Paraguay Audax Italiano versus Estudiantes Barcelona versus Universitario all tonight plus a bit of a heavyweight clash between Atletico Nacional and Olympia on Thursday evening. So by the time this comes out, uh, our predictions could well be shown up to be hugely mistaken, but we'll give it a good go anyway. But let's let's circle back to one of the games that was already played and a promising start for Chilean sides in continental competition now, Adam. Yeah, I think this is possibly sort of the best start that, uh, that I can remember a Chilean side getting actually in, in the Libertadores, um, certainly in recent years. Yeah, Everton were just, you know, really on it from the from the first whistle. Um, Monagas, it's fair to say, worked. Um, I was uh, particularly impressed with Everton's forward line of uh, Sosa, De Jurio and uh, Cuevas. Um, all, all three 
had excellent matches with Dorio basically being pretty much unplayable for 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 much of the game. Big Argentine striker. I know that you've seen um, a bit of him in the past, but he was mm. he was he was in Uruguay, I think, last season. So yeah, there wasn't like huge expectation around him. I I don't I don't think, but um, yeah, so far both in the Chilean league and in this game, Dorio or Dorio, as uh, the pronunciation <laughs> might be on that side of the Andes, um, yeah, has uh, has really impressed me so far. Yeah, he's a, he's a player that never really got a chance at Aldo Civi, which you know you'd think is one of uh, one of the smaller clubs where chances should be more plentiful but he did well at Cerro Lago in, in Uruguay last year and yeah he as you said he was he was on fire last night and and a, and a nice goal uh, from Ismael Sosa as well I think he, he's looking like he's going to be uh, a, a good signing for them yeah yeah as I mentioned that yeah front three with the quality Cuevas has on the ball as well you know he set up the uh, I think it was the first goal um, with a lovely ball over the top of the uh Monagas defence. So it it it, w- it was um, a pretty dominant performance from Everton from from start to finish. They they perhaps might their only regret might be that it wasn't more than three goals. But you've got to from the difference in quality that we saw last night between the two sides, um, it would be one hell of an upset to see the Venezuelan side turn this around at this point. But yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's looking good for Everton. If they if they win um, through, if they if they do make it through this round, then you know that pretty much assures them, I think, of at least group stage um, continental football, whether that be in the Libertadores or Sudamericana. Uh, although I was looking into it last night, and I noticed that actually, if Aldax Italiano somehow beat the Estudiantes. Of Argentina, um, Everton and Aldex would uh, would play off of a group stage spot. So, oh, yeah. no, that's you, you don't want to be eliminating <laughs> your, <laughs> no. your countrymen when uh, when Chile have obviously as well well documented on this podcast haven't haven't done as well as we'd like to see them do. So, but at least it would mean that we'd get one uh, an extra in in yeah. the group stage, and and I think. Even even Frank Lampard's Everton would probably be beating Monagas um, as well. So uh, <laughs> uh, the, the chances of Everton getting through are looking looking strong. And as you mentioned there, um, Alex Italiano, another Chilean side, bit of a tougher task for them. They're up against the Estudiantes, who in, in the Argentinian league, at least anyway, the only side with a hundred percent record after three games. H- how do you see this panning out, Adam? Yeah, well. I, th- I think it would be quite an upset if Aldax Italiano managed to make it through over the two legs. I'm hopeful that they could potentially get something tonight at home, and it's not really at home, <laughs> although there's a bit of a story here. So basically, um, Aldax Italiano are based in uh, Comuna here in Santiago called La Florida, um, and the stadium has been the main vaccination centre for that area of the city. So they haven't been able to play in that stadium pretty much since the start of the pandemic. Instead, they've been playing in Rancagua, which is um, where O'Higgins are based. And, uh, and, you know, that's a city which is about an hour south, 45 minutes an hour south of, um, of Santiago. But Aldax last season playing in that stadium 
had one of their best seasons in years. So, um, yeah, maybe they just preferred the real grass of that pitch compared to the <laughs> artificial turf that they usually play on in their, in their normal home stadium, who's to say. But, yeah, so it's not like they're playing uh, unfamiliar um, uh, ground, Alex, tonight. But um, they, they may have preferred to, to have a game like this where they could have got a lot more people in if it was, of course, based in the, in the barrier where, where most of their fans are based. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, expect to, I wouldn't expect a very big crowd there tonight compared to if it was actually in their proper home stadium, which is a, which is a bit unfortunate. To give one yeah. example, I would have definitely have gone for this game tonight because it's not too far from where I live if it was uh, if it was going to be played in the Floride. And the first time back in the Libertadores for 14 years as well so it's you know it's a big occasion and you know as, as we said there Estudiantes probably going to come in favourites maybe not necessarily for this leg but certainly across the tie I mean they've looking good they've got Bocelli the 36 year old coming back to Estudiantes three goals in three games for him um very solid defense there some some good young press prospects like Pellegrini Zappiola Palavicino all all good young players to watch out for so this is definitely going to be a really interesting um one there yeah um, Aldax I should just I should just mention a, a little bit sort of about Aldax and what what's happened to them so basically last season they qualified by uh finishing third in the table um which you know was their best uh league campaign for for quite a time obviously and they uh but their manager departed in uh way in the south american summer here um and uh and the manager last season was basically you know, concentrating on getting a solid defense and playing pretty decent counter-attacking football and they've replaced him with a manager who's known to like to sort of play possession-based quite aggressive pressing and attacking football so you know they are in a bit of a transition stage and that has shown in sort of their first three games where they seem like they're a bit caught between ideas they lost their first couple of matches uh, but they did get a decent draw against Colo Colo um, at the weekend and uh, and were certainly the better side in the second half of that game um, so yeah plenty plenty for them to uh, to build on but yeah this get this game against the Estudiantes I think stylistically probably doesn't suit them and also it probably comes a little bit too soon for this sort of transition stage that they're going through under Ronald Fuentes definitely a good challenge to, to get them off and, and see what they're made of there but hopefully a, a side that we'll be seeing more of even if it's not in this year's Libertadores um, and in terms of the other games uh, that have already happened in this second round did you see much of um, Millonarios Fluminense there at all or Plaza Colonia would you did you get get a chance to see either of these games yeah I saw I saw the first half um, and of obviously the Felipe Melo um, kicking off <laughs> was uh, was the highlight <laughs> was the highlight of uh, the Misioneros game against Fluminense. Um, I think uh, I think the Brazilian side once you know the Colombians went down to ten men were were always going to find a way of, of of winning that. Which was a shame, really, because yeah, 
um, me and Ariel's they got off to such a good start in that game, but um, and and there was a really decent crowd in for that in for that. But um, yeah, it, it was an uphill struggle, wasn't it? As soon as they uh, went down to ten men, what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, just absolutely brainless from Sosa. It was such a nice goal from him in the first place. But then two yellow cards within 20 minutes. Just one, I think the first one was kicking the ball away and then the other one was just needlessly lashing out when he was trying to win a, a corner. So I, f- I felt like Millonarios uh, really were the architects of their own, own downfall as well. You know, not only you could maybe blame the keeper for the equaliser as, as well and then obviously missing the penalty with the, the brilliant, brilliantly named David McAllister Silva, um, the, the captain and stalwart of the, of the team there saved. And again, I thought, I thought he could have got to, got to that rebound, but they were very slow to react yeah. there. And that was and very just, poor defending, wasn't it? On that. Goal? Oh, yeah. Terrible. Yeah. And, um, and then obviously uh, Herman Cano, a player that they'll know very, very well from his time at Dim, uh, getting getting the winner on there. And yeah, I thought, um, yeah, as you said, as soon as they were down to 10 men, it was always going to be a big uphill struggle. But I did like Daniel Ruiz, the, the young number 10. He got the assist for the first goal and he won the penalty. Um, so he'll, he'll definitely be a player to keep. An eye, an eye on, um, and and also Luis Enrique with the assist for the for the other goal. Someone who's got so much um, physical, well, so great physical attributes, but showing a nice unselfish touch there to to play in Cano for for the winner. So yeah, if, it does feel that Colombia might might continue their struggles in this in this tournament, and um, yeah, Fluminense definitely in the driving seat there. Um, then we also had Plaza Colonia. Tiny club, even even by Uruguayan standards, there playing in a what felt a very empty centenario, um, but a brace from Juan Cruz Masquia, um, who was a really highly rated youngster, um, probably about a decade ago now. He was banging them in for the under uh, Uruguayan under 17s in 2011. He's now 28. Um, he got a, yeah, a well taken brace. There was a. Did you see the um, the, the the horrendous? fail uh missed penalty in in this adam uh, a penenka I, I i i haven't seen anything from this game uh, unfortunately but uh, well, def- i'm sure definitely, to check it out after yeah, that definitely check out nicolas dule missing missing the penalty and there was also a another early red card for for the strongest here as well gabriel Esparza after about half an hour um sort of flicked a ball up um you know winning a bit of a high boot but then just very deliberately uh, left his leg there and planted it straight into the midriff of a player. So, uh, yeah, already we've seen some poor decision making and some early red cards. Yeah, of the three games, this is probably sort of the well, of the three games we've seen so far. Of course, this game is kind of uh, really nicely poised out of the three because yeah. you know you got the strongest with the altitude advantage in the second leg, and crucially, and we should mention this at this point, you know, there's no away goals rule which means that the strongest can feel like they can go for it even more at altitude especially when you've got Rodrigo Amaral on on the pitch you know he can he can hit them pretty well even at uh, sea level so there's always the chance there although I'd I'd be interested to see how long he lasts um, up there because he's not necessarily always been known for his his stamina and his his durability but um yeah I think you're you're spot on there I think you look at the result and think, oh, brilliant result for Colonia. But 
I think that that pair missed penalty they could really rue that because if they'd had a three three goal cushion you'd back them to to, to give themselves a good chance two nil you can see that easily wiped out especially for a you know a small side who've, who've lost a lot of their players and um, aren't used to going up to Bolivia and and playing at altitude so this one yeah as you said beautifully poised. Indeed, indeed. And um, any any thoughts on any quick thoughts on on any of the other games that have yet to be played at the at the time of recording? Anyone that catches your eye? I think for for one you mentioned on Thursday night between Atletico Nacional and Olimpia is 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 obviously the one I think the majority of the eyes are going to be on this week um, because you know both of those sides have. Have have made a decent impact in the Liberty stories in, in in recent years. Um, Olympia perhaps a little bit underperforming at times, um, and Nationale certainly have since they won it in two thousand and sixteen. Um, so yeah, but that, that it'd be interesting to see wh- where exactly those two teams are at at the moment. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, Universidad Católica, but not the Chilean one, <laughs> the, the Ecuadorian one. I'm interested to see how they get on against uh, Bolivar. Um, yeah, they've, they've got the away leg first there, but um, yeah, that, that's, that's been quite an interesting rise um, in Ecuador in, in recent years. From that club, I wrote an article about them and their manager, Santiago Escobar, who's now actually in charge of Universidad de Chile. Um, so, yeah, he departed towards the end of last season, actually. Um, so I've got a new man in there. But, um, yeah, uh, an interesting club nonetheless. One of the better run clubs in uh, in the country, along with another Ecuadorian side, Independiente de Valle, who we'll probably speak a bit about in a bit. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I'm fu- of the other games, you know, I'm fully expecting sort of the... Um, the the other Ecuadorian side Barcelona to make it through um, against Universitario of of Peru. Uh, I'll be surprised if there's any any upset there. Yeah, no, I, th- I think um, both Ecuadorian sides are going to be really interesting to watch. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Ismael Diaz, the the Panamanian up front for Católica. Um, I think there's, I mean, that game has got all the potential to be quite a high scoring one I think with um, the Brazilian strike duo of Chico and Bruno Savio looking quite interesting for Bolivar as well so yeah definitely definitely interesting to see how they do and and obviously as you mentioned there's some there's some serious vibes going on at Atletico Nacional with Pavon, Andrade, Gio Moreno, Duque, Guzman, Barrera, Tommy Angel it's you just wonder how that all fits together and and what happens if they don't get through because it looks like they've brought all these players together deliberately for a for a big Libertadores campaign and it's it would be a bit of a damp squib if uh if if, if they don't make it through but on that subject of Ecuador is you is you wonderfully set up showing all that that nous and <laughs> presenting experience We'll get on to the under-20 version of the of the Libertadores, which has already been wrapped up with Peñarol from Uruguay beating Independiente del Valle in the final in Quito on penalties after a 1-1 draw. Not too much to choose between these sides, but do you think Independiente del Valle will, will feel a bit aggrieved as not, not to have won that game? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think they were the team who were 
was sort of pushing for for the victory more in the ninety minutes, but the, then they found themselves one nil down with just sort of under fifteen minutes left, and they were scrambling around and they were completely dominant in that last fifteen minutes. They first had a goal disallowed, um, and then uh, and then they finally did make the breakthrough, and their pressure told um, just just a couple minutes into injury time. So. Yeah, it, it, it went to penalties um, and it looked like it was going to go independiente de Reyes way when um, when the Benyorol goalkeeper stepped up. Uh, the name escapes me at the moment. Um, Randall Rodriguez. Ran, that's it, great. Randall. <laughs> Randall <laughs> You've got to remember a name like that. I know, I know. <laughs> I knew it was quite a memorable name and I somehow <laughs> forgot it. Anyway, um, but yeah, he stepped up to take the fourth penalty for Penuel, I think it was, to put them 4-3 mm, yeah. ahead. Um, missed it. Um, so it looked like it was all set up for Independiente de Rey to make it 4-3 and and, uh, and put themselves one penalty away from winning the Libertadores, uh, under-20 Libertadores for a second time in a row. But Randall Rodriguez made up for it straight away by saving that penalty. Then a Penuro, another Penuro player scored to make it 4-3 to them. And then Randall Rodriguez saved another penalty. Um, so he ended up going from villain to hero in perhaps the quickest sequence I've ever seen. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a remarkable scenes, really. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't see a huge amount of, of Penuro during the tournament, but um, oh, I wouldn't begrudge them too much of this victory and uh, and I think it's been interesting to see sort of the some of the patterns in this under 20 Liberty stories over the years um, you know Peñarol's great rivals Nacional they beat Independiente de Valle in the final in back in 2018 so um, and the IDB win uh, sandwiched between those two defeats to Uruguayan sides was against an Argentinian side, uh, River Plate. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was quite interesting to see sort of the semi-finals as well. Didn't feature any Brazilian sides. Um, I think I think that's uh, also worth pointing out. Um, so yeah, it seems like the, you know there's a decent spread of talent across the continent right now. Although the Chilean side who qualified for this Universidad de Concepcion certainly disappointed in the group stage. Mm, yeah, but uh, I think as you mentioned, even though IDV lost the the final, the wider picture has got to be seen as a success. Three consecutive finals. You just look at the players that have already graduated from the last couple of teams. It's it's pretty much you know the the, the future spine of of the Ecuador national team. It's mm. it's amazing how many good players. I mean, were were there any particular players that that really stood out for you this time? Well, it, it was it was nice to see Marco Angulo again because yeah, he impressed me when I saw quite a bit more of this tournament two years ago. Um, and uh, he was captain this time around, actually. Uh, and yeah, he was he was really impressive in the centre of midfield. A definite future Ecuadorian international there, I think. Um, there was also uh, Patrick Macaro. He was he he impressed uh, at points as well. Perhaps not so much in the final though. Um, and there was the Uruguayan striker up front for Independiente de Valle, um, who. Uh, Sagraria 
right? Kiko Segaria? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he uh, yeah he he looked pretty confident in in his in his play. I thought um, he, he looked like he, you know, some players you just look at and you think, all oh, right, they they look like they have the right mentality to go with mm. their talent as well. And uh, obviously, it was quite an interesting move he's made there to go from Uruguay to to go into that setup at Independiente today. So yeah, he's he's definitely one. He's definitely one to watch, I think. Yeah, one one who came from Defence or Sporting, um, excellent academy as well. Another team that produce a, a ridiculous amount of, of young players. But um, yeah, I mean, all credit to Peñarol, keeping that Uruguayan um, good performance at this level. I think as well as two winners in the last three editions, I think they've had four finalists in the last six. So um, with, you know, different teams each each time almost. So, yeah, very impressive from Peñarol. Maxi Alonso, the the star for me, I think. He's he's already had some minutes in the first team. He got that really important brace against Caracas. Um, and then other than that, I, I really liked Oscar Cruz, the, the number nine. He's, I think, one of the all-time top scorers in Peñarol's youth ranks. Um, so definitely a name to, to keep an eye on. And, and as you mentioned, they were... They're a very solid team. They, I think they only conceded three goals in five games. Matias Gonzalez, um, as well as Randall Rodriguez in goal. Um, I think he was the best defender out of that lot. So, yeah, definitely some names to to keep an eye on from a club that have produced a lot of good players lately. Pelistre Torres, Canario Alvarez, Balverde, Rossi, Nandez. Lots of lots of Uruguay internationals coming out of Peñarol, as, you, as you'd expect. But before we move on, I think we do have to at least mention how, what an awful short socks shirt combination they had going on with just horrible grey shorts and socks to go with their <laughs> their famous gold and, and black shirt, which just, yeah, I don't know if that was some something to do with how it clashed. Or yeah, I think it was a contrasting issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but definitely it, it wasn't the uh, the best sartorial choice to, to win the competition in, unfortunately. Um, so now before you go, Adam... Um, could we get a little bit of an update on how the Chilean league is going so far? Yeah, um, so I guess uh, if, if you don't follow the Chilean league quite closely, there wouldn't be a huge surprise at the top of it if you saw uh, one of us, uh, Catholica, at the top of the table. Because um, if you've been looking at the Chilean league at any point over the last sort of four years, then you will probably would have seen Universa Catholica at the top of the table. And uh, and yeah, this year so far is no different. Three wins out of three. No, nothing special really in those three performances. And in some ways, I would say that is probably the most worrying thing for the rest of the league because, you know, they've been absolutely nowhere near their best. <laughs> but they're the only team in the league who don't have to be near their best to win games. Um and uh, and that yeah, and they've just got that real sort of champions mentality, which is really interesting in sort of a historical context here in Chile. Because certainly when I first moved over here in my first few years here, um, yeah, Católica was seen as always the bridesmaid in in Chilean football, um, and you know there was a lot, a lot of Mickey taking about that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think they're slowly just. Uh, dismantling that uh that kind of uh well in english football we'd call it spursiness i think uh they're, they're well past that now and uh <laughs> and yeah they're uh, like i say they've won the last four titles and 
the way they've started, um, they've started even better than I thought they would. Um, I think uh, I think they could be making it five. Uh, another team I'd like to point out is uh, Nublense. Jaime Garcia, their manager, has done a fantastic job there over the last two, three years. He got them promoted from Primera B, playing this sort of really exciting, attacking, expansive football, high pressing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he just carried it on into the top division, which doesn't always happen here. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's been a great success. Um, they, they made it to the um, to Copa Sudamericana qualification. And after three games this season, they sit in second. And they probably should have been joint top, really. They, they were very unlucky in the game that they didn't win. And they only got a point from a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a... But, but if, you know... Catolica and Noblense are definitely the sort of the, t- the two best teams to watch. I'd say in the division, Colo Colo went into this season as uh, as joint favourites for the title, along with Catolica, especially after they beat them in the su- uh, Supercopa final at the start of the year, um, and uh, and looked in much better shape shape than Catolica actually. But since then, they won their first game of the season with a couple of late goals, but they've been. Very unconvincing since in in their two games after that, with uh, draws against Lesserena and Aldax. So uh, they they only sit in sixth place on five points after three games. And given that they had a fairly favourable fixture list, I would say um, to start, they'd, they'd be pretty disappointed with that. On the fifth match day, so not this weekend, but the following weekend, we have the Super Classico here coming up as well. That's the other thing to note between Colo Colo and Universidad de Chile. And Universidad de Chile currently sitting fourth on six points. They won their first two games, but they lost to Noblense on on Monday night. So that that ruins Santiago Escobar's perfect start. But um, yeah, uh, generally the Chilean league at the moment, there's some decent young players in it. It's, It's in a lot better shape than it was on that front a few years ago. But... Uh, I still have grave concerns about the intensity that matches are played by. And there was a stat that I was looking at the other day where it basically said that the ball is in play less in the Chilean league than in any other league in South America. Um, and I and I think that this is a real issue <laughs> when Chilean teams go, go to continental competition, especially against the Brazilian-Argentinian sides. Um, yeah, so I don't think they can match that kind of physicality, intensity, etc. over 90 minutes. Um, so, yeah, it was no surprise to see Chile sort of at the bottom of that. Yeah, the ball is in play for basically 49 minutes for a match. So you're looking at just like over half, you know, a Champions League game, for example. I think it's just over an hour the ball is in play on the other extreme. Um, and most South American leagues are sort of between 50 and 55 minutes. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting stat to look at. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's always much higher in Europe than it is in South America. But I think uh, I think that kind of stat does show sort of that difference in level in the intensity of games and how much more of the ball is in play. 
Yeah, definitely. So fa- fascinating stuff, and it's going to be interesting to see how those those Ch- Chilean sides do in the Libertadores. I'm sure we'll we'll be discussing those in in weeks to come, and uh, and definitely some. I definitely, yeah, I, I agree that there feels like there's more positive, you know, young players coming out of the Chilean league. So that's also going to be uh, really interesting to see how that develops. Uh, where can people follow you on social media to hear more of that excellent Chilean football analysis, Adam? Uh, you can find me um, at Adam Brandon eighty four on Twitter, um, and yeah, I'm usually rambling about Chilean football most days on there. Um, if not, then Norwich City is the other go to uh, brand value that I have. It's a it's a niche combo, but one that we've all <laughs> that we all love. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Adam, for for coming on, and and hopefully we'll speak again to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Tom. Cheers. Bye. Now I'd like to welcome our next guest, none other than South American expert and interviewee extraordinaire. It's it's Lewis Smith. How's things going, mate? Oh, uh, nice, nice to be on the podcast. Everything's going fine. Yeah, um, keeping up to date with the football. Uh, not enjoying the cold weather over here at the minute. Just constantly raining. But yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we're good to go. That's that's the thing. It's uh, while we're while we're stuck over this side of the Atlantic, we can we can look over the more exotic climbs and and wish we were there so um i definitely know the know the feeling so um let's kick off by um having a quick look back at the club world cup where palmeiras were just edged out by chelsea in the final do you think palmeiras can feel pretty happy with their performance um and and what's the reaction of the fans back in brazil been like yeah for certainly for sure they can be um happy with how they performed um i mean they, they put in a solid effort they defended like lions um and and they, they didn't make a embarrassment of the south american game like they did last year <laughs> as the fans uh, <laughs> were saying i mean the reaction of the palmeiras fans has been compared to last year um for example when they arrived back in uh, sao paulo fans were asking questions saying what went wrong what happened um just giving them a stick basically um, but this this year, there was actually uh, applauded back. Um, there was greeted at the airport with more positivity compared to last year. I mean, last year they disgraced themselves, losing twice, not scoring. Um, but there were big factors in that. That the I think there's like three days between them lifting the Libertadores and them uh, competing in the Club World Cup. It's hardly any preparation for s- such a big tournament as it is in South America. So yeah, this time around the fans were much more positive than than negative compared to last year. Yeah, definitely. I think you saw the the certainly the fans out there seem to be having a, a good time, and and definitely I think just the having had that experience last year, they they I'm sure they knew what they needed to do to to make up for things, and 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 yeah, it, I mean it it's pretty much if if you if you're a South American side and you, and you want a chance of winning the club world cup these days you've you've just pretty much got to hope you've got to come up against chelsea really don't you <laughs> yeah yeah that's true as the uh, corinthians did it in 2012 i mean i thought they would do better this year of course they've had they had a month break if you can call call it a break compared to what teams have in <laughs> europe uh, but yeah they've had they'd have a month break and they had two uh state championship games beforehand so it was ideal preparation compared to just being thrown into it so they had more of a game plan and I think um, playing against Chelsea uh, allowed Ferreira to use his defensive tactics per- uh, perfectly. Uh, with I think he played three centre halves, dropping uh, the Uruguayan Picares into centre half and just defending 
when they get the chance to attack with Ronnie Dudu and uh, Rafael Vega, they, that's what he did. Um, and they had like a shoot on site policy, um, which it, it worked again, plan almost worked. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well. They, it's, it's weird to say that the game plan worked. That I mean, I think expectation of South American teams to win the uh, Club World Cup, there's always that there, but it's more as a fans being passionate rather than expectancy as it would have been 20 years ago, for example, when the South American sides were expected to win. Now I think they understand that European football's got um, a lot of money and as Abel, Abel Ferreira touched on in his press conference, look how many Brazilians we had in our starting lineup, and look how many English Chelsea had in theirs. So he was kind of um, sympathising with the performance for himself and saying, we don't have this money to spend compared to you. Yeah, definitely. I th- think that's obviously a, a big part of it. I mean, I'm sure there'll be plenty of other clubs around South America um, n- not maybe having as much sympathy with the <laughs> Palmeiras's uh, um, wealth, uh, compared, relative wealth yeah. compared to theirs. But um, obviously, you know, I think what's what's interesting with Palmeiras is how they've they've been able to keep a pretty settled side over the last couple of years together, which has obviously helped them in this performance, as well as coming up against maybe a, a side whose style really suited um, suited their kind of compact um solid uh, approach which um yeah it, i think they were they were never going to come up against a side that are really going to absolutely be able to tear them apart so I, th- I think it was a it was a good chance a pity that they couldn't get the win but certainly as we've said a really creditable performance from them so even though it's just the state leagues at the moment in in Brazil there have been some other important games um with a with a pretty exciting supercopa between Two of the other big boys of uh, Brazilian football right now, Atletico Mineiro and Flamengo, ended with Galo taking the title, uh, winning on penalties after a 2-2 draw. Um, yeah, talk, talk us through the game, uh, Lewis. Oh, the game. He had absolutely everything other than the typical South American red card coming in. I was I was waiting <laughs> for that. I was I had my bingo list ready. But no, the, it was just a crazy game. Uh, two two sides with new managers. Uh, Paulo Souza uh, at Flamengo just took over. He left the Poland job, so... Yeah, he is. I mean, they've taken over the Flamengo job's quite a tough cha- task because no matter what's going on, you're always under pressure compared to uh, most of the other teams in Brazil. I mean, th- they got to the Libertadores final last year and uh, sacked the manager, um, which just doesn't see it just doesn't seem right <laughs> <laughs> over here. Um, but that's what happens in in South American uh, Atlético Mineiro uh, Mineiro coming in with their new manager uh, Antonio Mohamed, who I'm sure you know well for his time in uh, Argentina. Mm-hmm. He he's got a task on his shoulders, <laughs> taking over from uh, Cuca, who won the Brazilian Cup and League. So going into the game, it was quite. It's going to be a matchup of two new managers. What 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 can you expect? I kind of expected the game to be quite attacking because that's how they them two sides play and that's how it panned out. It's like a end-to-end stuff, a bit like a basketball game. Um, yeah, the, the first half was Flamengo had uh, the better of the chances um, early on. But Gabriel Barbosa wasted a glorious chance hitting it wide. But the new signing, uh, Fabrizio uh, Bruno from uh, Bragantino, from a corner, he, he, he free header, he should have scored and he put it past the post and... Uh, Oslo went against him when uh, Aranya had a, had a shot spilled by Souza to give Nacho Fernandez a tapping to give uh, Atletico a one nil lead at half time. Um, and then the second half starts, same as the first half, really end to end stuff. Uh, 
and Flamengo make an early breakthrough when Arasqueta, with a great run down the left wing, uh, crosses into uh, Bruno Henrique. Good header, but saved. And when Henrique's had a shot, you all know that uh, Gabby is going to be somewhere around it, which he was to level the tie and set it up nicely for the second half. And just moments later, uh, Lazaro, 19-year-old, makes a great run, plays an absolutely wonderful ball, catching out uh, Godin, the Uruguay centre-half. I mean, he would have probably stopped it two years ago, maybe, but his ageing legs uh, couldn't keep up with uh, Bruno Enrique. Makes a little lovely dink over Everson. Um, said in the game, putting them in the lead, sorry, and then uh, just with 10 minutes remaining, Hulk with a thunderbolt past the Souza from close range. Um, I know Souza was uh, criticised for the first goal, but for second goal, he, had, he couldn't have done anything about it, uh, sending the match to penalties. Um, and penalties were just crazy itself, like the game. Um, the first 10 penalties were perfect. Um, keepers couldn't really do much. Uh, and then when when it comes to sudden death and there's pressure on the line, it just went crazy. Um, there was misses left, right and centre. Uh, Everson, the keeper, made a great made a couple of great saves, but then when he had the chance to take a penalty for himself, he put it so far into the crowd, it was unbelievable. Um <laughs> After a chaotic point of the shootout, um, I think it was Hulk scored and then Everson, after making himself a villain, became a hero, which was a great save sending the the very few Gallo fans in the crowd wild. Um, Flamengo the fans everywhere in Brazil, um, so they pack out any stadium, but the it was not the one smiling in the end. But yeah, I mean, the any, any chance of silverware in Brazil is a massive game. It's not like a community shield in England, for example, where it's, 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 I think it's getting bigger and bigger each year, kind of with probably because uh, Man City keep winning everything. Everyone now keeping the uh, community shield as a, not, not something to look down on anymore as much, but the super copper in Brazil is just, it's, it's kind of, a, it's been brought back in as a new trophy and they don't take it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, yeah. I've seen that with more South American trophies. If there's, if there's is silverware to be won, then we're going all out for it. Especially with two new managers coming in as well. I mean, Antonio Mahmoud's already got some silverware, which takes some a little bit of pressure of his back, I guess. Yeah, definitely. You want to want to get that off to a good start, and and that's what he's done there. I mean, as you said, crazy penalty shootout. I definitely say it's worth checking that out if you haven't done already um and yeah i mean i yeah. think these these two sides are going to be right up there challenging i mean do you think that anyone can can match um mineiro flamengo and palmeiras is there or are they going to be the ones who are going to be the hot favorites for the league in libertadores yeah them three are kind of the hot favorites but corinthians are not too far behind i don't think i think they'll do well this year if they can mm. get um things right i mean they've signed some good players they're building a good squad together i mean they've got a strong midfield with renato augusto uh i think they've just signed paulinho from uh, the chinese club and th- today they've just hired a new manager who was vita pereira from fanabache there was a um, meant to be going to, well rumored to be going to everton um, not so long back, so it'd be interesting to see uh, how he does because he's meant to be a bit of a crazy character. So he suits South <laughs> America perfectly. Um, how he will do, I'm not too sure. But yeah, Corinthians, uh, Corinthians are looking strong this season, especially with they've got they've signed William too uh, uh, last season, and he's 
he's had a bit of a pre pre season under his belt. So I, th- I think I think Corinthians will not be too far behind this year if they can if they can be consistent. That's the key. Palmeiras failed failed in the league last season because he wasn't consistent enough. They'd, they'd win a few games, but then they did come unstuck by a, lo- a lesser side to them. I mean, they got knocked out of the cup by a lower division side on penalties and. If you want to win uh, league titles, you can't have those kind of performances. Yeah, the but Corinthians are set up perfectly for a cup side as they are in the Libertadores. They don't get beat. That's their mainstay to not concede and playing that way doesn't always work in the league because when you have to attack, that's when you get found out a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's really interesting. There's a lot of. Uh familiar faces returning to that Corinthian side so they're definitely going to be an interesting one to watch in the Libertadores and um, yeah certainly Brazilians are, are going to probably start as favourites and will pr- most likely uh, add another title to their to their name in the Libertadores there. I mean you mentioned uh, Lazaro there as, um, as a player who came in and made a difference. Was there, are there any other young players that you, you've seen at these clubs or, or to be fair any any in, in the Brazilian league that you're, you're thinking could sort of have a breakthrough season this year? I'm I'm, inter- I'm going to say I'm interested to see how uh, the Endrick, the 15-year-old, if he gets mm. any game time for Palmeiras. I mean, he's only 15, so you, you can't really throw it on his shoulders and put pressure on him. But it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if he does get any game time because he had a great uh, Copinha. I mean, if you if you go back and watch any of his goals, I mean, it's every one of them is like a highlight reel. And so I have such confidence at fifteen years old playing against adults. Well, yeah, twenty year olds, adults. <laughs> it's it takes a lot, but he's already been uh, targeted by Real Madrid and PSG already, which it's kind of not right. <laughs> I don't think mm, yeah. you, you don't give him chance to develop before moving. I mean, when Neymar moved to um, Europe, he was. 21-22, he'd uh, had seasons um, playing in Brazil's top league prior to that. So he had he had confidence and Enric uh, won't get that and he could, if he doesn't get it, it could, could go wrong. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, but Botafogo, I've also got a, a young player who's coming up, uh, Mateus, oh, I can't say his last name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, Nascimento is that yeah, is that the one? Yeah, Nascimento. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, it's it's the <laughs> it's such a long name to say, but yeah, Mateus Nascimento. He he played. He made his uh, debut uh, when they got relegated, and you know he did, he did all right. He was confident, uh, but this season I think he's gonna is gonna be like a key player for them. Um, so far, this state championships has been scoring a few goals. Um, and they play Flamengo tonight, which is their first real test. Oh well, they played Fluminense the other night, but this is a their big game. Botafogo, Flamengo, the rivals more so than with Fluminense. It's more of a friendly rivalry. But today, when they take on uh, Flamengo, I think it's going to be a big test for him to see how he gets on. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to the game to see see how he gets on. Yeah, definitely two of the two of the names to look out for, and and talking of big games coming up, we've also got the Recopa Sudamericana between Palmeiras and Atlético Paranaense, two-legged affair with the first leg tonight um, at the time of recording. Um, surely it's it's Palmeiras all the way, is it not? Yeah, but you think so. But as I was saying uh, last time, uh, that they, they they always tend to come unstuck against lesser opposition. Um, I mean, Atletico Paranense like to attack. They like to play nice football, but Palmeiras like to sit back and yeah, it's like a battle of two different styles. Um, 
and with a trophy involved, it makes things a lot more interesting, especially it's kind of the only South American final at the moment, which is like the older days when you could have two-legged finals. Yeah, exactly. So that Good makes point. it interesting. It's, yeah, it's kind of, it's more retro, uh, something something different now, I guess. Uh, I'm hoping that they bring the Libertadores finals back too late because um, the, the, the one-off final doesn't tend to work in South America as, as well as it as well as the two-legged. I mean, you don't want to be playing uh, a game in Uruguay, for example, if you're two Brazilian sides. It just doesn't make sense because the geography in South America is completely different to Europe. It's all close together. But uh, back onto the football, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what to expect, really. I've not seen much of uh, Paranense since the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to look and see how they get on um, against Palmeiras, who... We'll be hoping to avenge their loss last season to Defensa uh, on penalties. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's another trophy that they want to win. Yeah, 100%. As we said, you know, Brazilian fans demand success all the time. So this will be keenly fought and it's going to be an interesting clash between the winners or well, the two continental champions at the moment. So, yeah, two legs. First of one will have already been played by the time this comes out. Um, so hopefully it's still all in the balance uh, by the time you are listening to this. Um, so, yeah, fascinating stuff going on in Brazil right now, even if uh, the league proper hasn't started. Um, to finish up, we're just going to have a very quick look over Argentina where the Copa de la Liga is underway. Feels like there's const- been constant matches at the moment, given that there's 23 teams in- involved. But uh, only one team has still got the 100% record. We mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Estudiantes, three for, th- well, they're, yeah, three for three after <laughs> after those games and doing pretty well. Um, obviously, it's got the two-group format. So um, it's all to play for at the moment. River, um, after... Uh, after an opening day defeat, are uh, um, going going a little bit better now. They they've got won the last two games. Julian Alvarez, the Man City bound striker, with a hat trick against Patronato, and also a lovely goal in the last game for Juan Fer Quintero. So lots to enjoy there. And, and Boca are also going well and are unbeaten at the moment, if maybe not quite as spectacular. Other than that, we've got Colón doing well. Um, Puga Rodriguez, one of the the absolute legends and cult heroes of the game, uh, doing really well back at back at Colón after his time at Gimnasia, um, scoring some nice goals. And and that's going to be um, a really interesting team to watch, both in the league and the Libertadores. And then a couple of uh, teams doing better than expected. We've got Union, who I think have yet to concede a goal at the time of recording they're doing well and, and Platense and Tigre two of the smaller teams who are, are doing a bit better than expected so yeah at the moment lots of old strikers that seems to be the the theme running through Argentinian f- league football at the moment Bocelli, Sand, Cautorrucho, Bergesia, even Manin, Licha Lopez and Prato all, all having some good performances and, and getting amongst the goals. Um, Lewis is is any anyone standing out from you from this Argentinian uh, group? Do you think there's anyone who can challenge the Brazilian sides in the Libertadores? Uh, River Plate are always there or thereabouts. Um, last season was a bit odd because the Brazilian team just had a bit of a dominant period compared to the like previous years. There's always been a well, sorry, the 2019 final River had um, played well against Flamengo. They probably should have won. Um, so River will always be there or thereabouts. Um, 
Boca, I've not seen much of Boca um, recently. How how are they shaping up? Because um, I know there was in a, tra- a bit of a transitional period last year. Yeah, no, Boca have um, definitely coming through that transitional period now. I, I still think there's a little bit of a way to go. They've, I feel at the moment with all these really exciting young players uh, coming through, you've got the likes of Ezequiel Savajos, um, you've got Varela, Medina, Luis Vasquez up front, and some you know some guys who haven't even broken into the first team proper yet, like Valentin Barco. All guys who people are really pushing to to see more of. But it seems like Batalia is 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 kind of sticking with the um, with with the tried and tested, more experienced guys. Um, so it's it's kind of the squad feels in a lot better place. They've they've got Dario Benedetto back up front, which is. Yeah, the best striker they've had since Dario Benedetto left. <laughs> um, brought him back from. Yeah, and they've they've even got players like Paul Fernandez back as well, and um, still quite a yeah experienced defensive line with the likes of Rojo, Advincula, um, Fabra. You know, I think some of these guys are probably past their best, and and they could do with moving on. But I I feel like at the moment the the one question I have about Boca is they've they've got the good young players, they've got the sort of more experienced players but there's just maybe not too many p- players in that kind of middle age bracket um that, that are going to bring the energy but also have a bit of experience so it's they're kind of bit of a still work in progress but they're they're getting the results they feel like more of a, a proposition than than they did last year that's for sure yeah i, re- I remember uh, when they played river last year there was a lot of uh, talk that Boca were just not the same as they had been in previous years um so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. But I know with River, with the uh, Marcelo Gallardo, there's there's always there's always a chance that he's going to spring up a surprise, which is why they're always an interesting watching uh, Libertadores, and especially with uh, Julian Alvarez um, in the side with a bit more experience to his belt, knowing that he's off to England, sunny England, in a, in a few months' <laughs> time, um, he might want to go out on a high. Yeah, I mean, this is looking like the best Riverside in a long time. So I do think they've got a very good chance of of breaking up that Brazilian dominance. But we will have to see. We've still got those uh, second round qualifiers to get through first, as we were discussing with Adam earlier on the podcast. Um, So it's going to be really fascinating to see how that goes. And um, yeah, I think... That is about all we've got time for today. So, uh, Lewis, where can people find you on, on social media and, and anything to plug? Um, on Twitter, at uh, LewisSmith22. There's always uh, the odd Brazilian goals there to watch and some Libertadores coverage and some interviews to look out for. Um, I think the, there's one there on, on the minute that I did re, uh, last month with Felipe Azvedo from America, Minero, who are about to make the Copa Libertadores debut this evening against Guarani of Paraguay. Yeah, definitely make sure to give that. That's a really fascinating one. And and yeah, definitely recommend you giving Lewis a follow there. As we mentioned, you can find Adam at AdamBrandon84. And you can find me on Twitter at TomRob89. Recent piece on Jasser Spria for Scout there. And, and there should be an article on World Football Index soon with about some of the young Uruguayans to, to follow this year. So once again, a big thanks to all our guests and all our listeners. And be sure to follow the World Football Index on social media for all the latest. So that's uh, all that's left for me to say is thanks um, for listening and goodbye. <laughs>